Hello and welcome to Criterion. Close up. I'm Mark Herney. I have no idea who that was. Um, this is I, Tom Waits. <laughs> <laughs> Did that oh, sound the radio convincing? Announcer. Nice. Yeah. Um, I'm about to play Blue Moon. <laughs> I, I don't know if you're going to want to talk like that the rest of the episode, Aaron. You might uh, lose your voice for a month after that. Yeah. Oof. I actually tried it earlier, and uh, and I just broke out into a coughing fit. So, um, <laughs> I believe it. I'm, I'm okay now. Um, hmm. Well, I was going to tell you about this dream I had last night. I was uh, Last night I was actually podcasting. Um, I was dreaming last night that I was podcasting this morning, as I am right now, but I was podcasting with Elvis. Um, but hmm. unfortunately, my dream dissolved and your face appeared, so... Did you wake up with a comb? <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did right next to my pillow. No, I, I, I was. I was like um, Nicoletti there, just you know, awake the entire night. In that case, it was the, the real Elvis. If you have a comb, oh, was it? Yeah, yeah. Probably oh. like a two dollar Rite Aid kind of comb. Then that's that's him. <laughs> oh, good stuff. Well, uh, we are here on Criterion Close-Up. I'm Mark Herney, here with Aaron West, of course, talking about... Uh, we're taking a little um, journey into Memphis on uh, the Mystery Train, and we're going to have a subtopic of Jim Jarmusch. So we'll have some fun there. But uh, you know, before we talk about that, we have a, a Jarmusch aficionado that we brought in with us, uh, really brought him in a little bit late. We're talking about this episode, and Marcus is like, well, I'm a fan. So mm-hmm. <laughs> here he is, Marcus yeah. Pinn. Welcome, Marcus. Yeah, thank you. No, die, diehard fan. He's um, Jarmusch, is, he's, he's, I don't know about maybe top. He's easily top 10 all-time you know, favorites. So. Cool. Nice. Yeah. Excellent. It's definitely a topic I can always talk about. So that's great. Yeah. Well, I'm glad glad yeah. we had you on. I mean, it's nice to have a, an aficionado, a, a fan. I'm I'm a fan, but I'm still kind of figuring out, as I told Aaron, um, where I fall with Jarmusch and why I like him so much. Um, so, mm-hmm. <laughs> so glad to have you on, Marcus. Uh, of course, uh, folks, we'll let folks know where to find you online, but uh, at Pinland Empire online, and you have a, a website, uh, the Pink Smoke. So at PinlandEmpire.com. Yeah. So, but we, you actually went to TIFF recently and you got to talk about uh, Wrong Reel there. So we wanted to uh, or talk on Wrong Reel about TIFF. So. <laughs> yeah, he went to TIFF and yeah. just talked about Wrong Reel the whole time. <laughs> the entire time. <laughs> James loved it. <laughs> thanks. Thanks, Marcus. So yeah. how was, uh, how was TIFF? Oh, it was great. It's, um, I've been going um, with uh, my friends, John and Chris of the Pink Smoke for, uh, uh, Oh, six six years now, but they've been going even longer than that. They've been going for about eleven or twelve years, I, I believe. But um, um, yeah, no. Uh, selection wise, this was the best year. Um, and I actually saw uh, Jarmusch's latest, so that kind of ties into the episode. But you know, beyond that, this was the first year where I not only did I have a top ten, but I had honorable mention. Every other year I go. I usually have a top five, and then other than that, it's just movies that were either okay or mm. disappointing or you know pretty bad. But this year it was you know it was pretty great, and a lot of discoveries because a lot of stuff that I was really anticipating, uh, like one being Arrival, uh, wasn't as sure. good as I wanted it to be. Uh, I, you know, it's not out yet, so I'm not gonna say too much or give any spoilers. I will say it does deserve to be seen. I mean, it's that regular Villeneuve kind of there's a you know the ambient score, uh, his kind of dark atmospheres all there so it's not like a waste of money it's definitely a movie theater going experience i just it's just the end that's kind of um mm. 
Okay. So, um, but yeah, no. In terms of you know Patterson Jarmusch's latest was was really really good. It, I think it's the best thing he's done since Broken Flowers. Um, it actually it feels like the movie feels like it exists in the same. I feel like you know Adam Driver's uh, character, whose name is Patterson. I feel like he lives down the street from Bill Murray's character in Broken Flowers. Like the tone and oh. everything. It's very it's very similar. Um, what else? I think. Um, Manchester by the Sea was probably the best thing I saw there. It's actually my favorite movie of the year so far too. It's nice. not, not not just at TIFF. And I and I urge people too when when you watch the trailer for Manchester by the Sea, that kind mm. of um the song and the music that's used in the trailer, it's there's nothing like that actually in the movie. I don't know, you know, why you know when, when trailers are cut they use I mean, I guess you got to fill seats, but it's it's slightly cheesy, mm-hmm. but the movie itself is very um it, it's it just it's not exactly like how, how the trailer presents it, but uh, yeah. Oh. I, You're saying trailers me, aren't honest. <laughs> a lot of times, especially for, not, for um, art films, they exactly, make them look exactly. look like heist films. <laughs> but if uh, it means but but if it means anything to any anyone listening, Manchester by the Sea, me, John, and Chris, all three of us, uh, all agreed that that was our favorite movie of the festival. Oh um, wow! Yeah, that's yeah. one I really want to see. Yeah, yeah. So. It, it's it's really Casey Affleck is great. My only worry yeah. is it's such a great like. There's a lot of subtlety in it, and I just wonder if it'll go over uh, people's heads. I mean, you don't make mm-hmm. movies to win awards, but in terms of Golden Globes and Academy Award, it should be nominated for all that. From editing mm-hmm. to best actor, it's 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 got a lot of uh, a lot of good stuff. So yeah, I think La La Land got all the uh, the buzz and still has it in the momentum going into award season. So. Did yeah, you like- that was weird. Yeah, uh, I mean, I didn't dislike it. It was just I, I knew it. It was everything that I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. That's but that's I didn't what know I've pe- people. I didn't know people would like it that much. I mean, it's like um, I don't mean to be insulting. I mean, it's a pretty just cl- cliche musical about you know, boy meets girl. They fall in love. He loses her. Then he has to try to get her back. And you know, in the form of a musical. But again, it's like I knew that that's what it was going to be going in. But uh, it's just I just thought it. I honestly thought it wouldn't be any more than just like, hey, this is like a good date movie kind of thing, you know. But so it's I basically know it would it's basically be Sing like Street, but season. it's Sing Street, but not in Ireland. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Um, and uh, we should mention that Marcus recorded like an epic episode on Wrong Reel about Tiff uh, with with the, yeah. the Pink Smoke guys. So we'll put a link to, of that in the show notes. Um, I, I still haven't had a chance to listen because you know it's like ten hours. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, no, really, it's 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 over two. It's about two hours forty minutes, something like that. So um, if 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 you're epic like podcast. me, I can't if, wait. If yeah. you have the if you have the kind of job that allows you to sit and listen to podcasts, this is a this is a good one. I'm I'm one of the weirdos. Mm-hmm. I like long podcast episodes mm-hmm. mainly just because it's an indicator like when you listen to two like two joe rogan episodes it's like oh the day is like a huge part of the day is over you know yeah, kind of that's thing. A good point. which yeah. is kind of sad when you think which is a sad way to kind of measure your day but at the same time you know it's still good you know it's good listening so mm-hmm. and i think the good thing about the, the dynamic between us you know john me john and chris we like a lot equally you know like we have the same amount of love for say claire denis michael haneke and you know jean-claude van damme but at the same time, we couldn't be any more different in terms of other stuff. And I think that's important because mm-hmm. those guys, we, we don't just write. I'm not just a contributor to their site. We're also friends. So it's, right. you know, you can't, that's cool. you yeah. can't agree on every, everything. So like, for example, they're not, this is an understatement, but they're not, a, they're not the biggest Terrence Malick fans or mm-hmm. they're not that favorable to say Andrea Arnold, but I am. Mm-hmm. So, you know, okay. there's a lot of uh, back and forth and debating and, and, and whatnot. So. 
the debate is fun. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're good guys. So I, I've enjoyed. Um, I, I follow them, Pink Smoke, and on Twitter and on the website and uh, and on podcasts when they when they show up. So definitely, definitely. Yeah. And so, not yeah, to yeah, um, yeah. not to put you on the spot, Marcus, but uh, how about a from Tiff a, a Marcus pick something that might not be on people's radars that they should check out. Oh, two. I- Absolutely. I actually have two. One is this film called The Untamed. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was directed by Carlos Regatas' former uh, AD, Amat Escalante. Um, He's got a couple of other films, but this is um, this. This was my second favorite film of the festival after um, Manchester by the Sea. Yeah, Untamed. um, And it's definitely in the vein of, of a Regatas film. It's definitely like kind of an extension of post tenebris lux which side note i think is the best movie of the decade so far i know wow. that's a it's a beautiful insane movie, yeah. statement but yeah I, I love that movie but basically it, it's the untamed is is interesting in that it starts out uh it's, it's a family drama about uh infidelity and then it slowly turns into a supernatural sci-fi kind of horror like imagine you know like say stalker like if you took that trek and you go to the zone and you go inside and then you see this kind of being in the zone. But it's it's almost hard to describe what this being is. But this being inside the room in the zone in the untamed provides pleasure or it can kill you depending on your tolerance and what, you know, depending on the kind of person you are. So. Hmm. It's, Sounds like Hellraiser. Yeah, it's, wow. Yeah, it's 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 it's, it's a trippy film. And then the honorable mention, you know, after that, I, I would say, um, what's this? Um, oh man, why am I drawing a blank? Uh, Claudia Saint Lucie's. Um, is, oh, the em- oh, I'm sorry, the Empty Box. It, it's a really, um, hmm. it's a what I like to describe the Empty Box as kind of the anti Thirty Five Rums. You know, and that it's about it, it's a father daughter relationship. Although oh. in this film, unlike Thirty Five Shots of Rum, it's kind of the opposite relationship in that they're a little strained. But mm. uh, the daughter is kind of she's forced to take care of her father, who um, is in the early stages of dementia, and it just kind of gets worse as the film goes along. But there's a lot of you know kind of racial stuff in it, and that her mother is uh, a very very light skinned uh, Mexican, and her father is a very dark skinned Haitian, and you know she's. She's got some kind of issues with, you know, her complexion due to her father. Um, so there's that stuff there. And then there's a lot of flashbacks in the film where you see how her father, it's not like he was abusive or anything, or not even necessarily a bad father, but he was way too hard on her. And she still has some issues with that. And, hmm. you know, so hmm. the empty box, definitely, definitely. So those two, the empty box and the untamed, those are the kind of movies that are going to come to like the smaller, first of all, probably just the bigger cities and only like the art house theaters sure so hopefully they'll they'll be on some kind of streaming service you know Hmm. keep an eye out for them yeah absolutely yeah sounds intriguing kind of post tenebris uh, lux kind of that's the way that worked out i didn't see it in theaters i saw it mm -hmm. when it showed up on netflix Mm -hmm. i just caught up with uh 35 shots of rum so that's an interesting dichotomy there i gotta check Mm -hmm. that out Excellent. I, yeah, I, I've seen Post and Everest Lux in, in three different theaters. Uh, oh, I nice, saw it nice. at TIFF, and then I saw it at two different art house theaters in uh, in the city. It's definitely uh, it, it's definitely it, it, it's one of my all time favorite movie going experiences. And and rarely any kind of I'm not opposed to like a new movie being one of my favorites. It just has to be mm-hmm. really good. And then this was definitely you know yeah, after yeah. the first viewing, I was like, whoa! I was blown away. Very uh, atmospheric movie. I, I imagine Absolutely. that the theatrical experience would be pretty good. So. Absolutely. Excellent. Yeah. 
All right. Well, the uh, thank you. Uh, welcome, Marcus. And yeah. uh, folks listening, they may be surprised that we didn't uh, cover Marcus's Criterion Connection because he is a first-time guest. But we do have a friend, uh, of course, part of the it's, Criterion it's Claire Denis. Network. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, J- and Big not to cut you here. off, for those who – I mean to cut you off, but for those listening, you know, my, my site, Pinland Empire, mm-hmm. it's definitely – I would like to say not not even not 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 to brag or put myself over too much, but I do think it's Bright probably away. one of the best resources for all things Claire Denis related. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not even so much that I've written about every one of her films, not just her feature films, but I've written about her short films as well. I did a, um, I've done a couple of you know kind of long form you know overviews of her work, and I even got to interview her actually. So an interview nice. with Claire cool. Denis is up on my site. Well, yeah, we have a mutual friend, uh, my friend uh, actress um, Alice Howry. She's um, she's Nanette and Nanette and Bonnie. She's in U.S. Go Home, and she has two quick appearances in um, Trouble Every Day and Bastards. So she's one of mm. Claire Denis' long term. You know, she's one of her regular you know stock actors. So. I got to know her. She she came across my site. Alice came across my site, um, and then we became friends. We've hung out in Paris a few times. She always takes care of me. And cool. then you know, over time, she she suggested. She's like, you know, you should interview Claire. Uh, I think she would like you. And then you know, hmm. I got her number. And then next thing you know, I was talking to Claire Denis on the phone, which is you know, for anyone you know, if if your f- all time favorite director is just kind of shooting the shit with you on the phone, it's pretty uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. So the, yeah, the, trust yeah. The, there's a, I've tried to get Jean Renoir on the phone, but it just doesn't work out. <laughs> <laughs> and and the thing is too with first. with Claire Denis, she obviously she ties into you know who we're about to talk about because she was an assistant for mm-hmm. Jarmish on Down by Law, and they're just close. They're just personal friends, you know, and because they have that um, connection through Vim Vendors who introduced them, and yeah. then you know Robin Mueller. Yeah, Rob Robbie Mueller. That they've all worked together, and then you know she has another extended family. She's you know she's good friends with um Olivia Sayas and Leo Karash. And if you notice, those three directors, yeah. Denis, Asayas, and um, Karash, they they all share a lot of the same actors. Um, so yeah, yeah, and it's not even just about Claire Denis, but she branches off to so many different. You know, you'll see a lot of uh, Claire Denis stock actors and a lot of Jarmish's uh, later Jarmish mm-hmm. films. You know, so. And I will brag for uh, for Marcus that Pinland Empire is a great resource and actually he's an amazing uh, follow you. on twitter I, with these little comparison images I, oh, it's just, oh my god yeah how do i forget that's like the main thing i do I, you know yeah. i don't want to give i don't want to give off i mean i had been on twitter for many years just kind of posting you know regular reviews that i wrote i wasn't getting much of a you know a response for years then i was just like what i do on my site i should just start tweeting that you know i should just start tweeting that kind of stuff so yeah big crux about 75 percent of my site and about I don't know, 80% of my Twitter account is just comparing movies that uh, old to new, movies that may mm-hmm. or may not have influenced. And some are just obviously coincidental. I not, Now that I have, sure, anytime sure. I have a platform, I like to say, I don't always think this director influenced another. But when you compare images, some, a lot of times there's no denying that they're similar. And sometimes it's just coincidental. But um, It's, it's fun know, to I, see them contrasted, though. I, I lo- love uh, pretty much all your tweets, so... I, I, oh, I, I appreciate and pages, it. And like I tell, yeah. a lot, and, and, and like I tell some people, you know, more so on Facebook, um, I get a lot of retractors sometimes who just like to think. And I guess I understand sometimes I don't. They like to say that, oh, I'm saying someone's a copycat. Or a lot of people mm. say, okay, so what's the point of comparing movies? And just and and mm-hmm. simply put, it's essentially it's like film history to some degree when when we're talking about uh, 
influence. Like if you, you know, Bill Nunn just passed away uh, right. yesterday. And I posted this image of the scene from Night of the Hunter uh, next to the scene from Do the Right Thing, the love-hate you know, scene. And then next yeah, to that, that was, uh, the, the chasing Amy, uh, finger cuff scene. And to me, and that's kind of like a film history, you know, I saw my, my age, I'm 35. I actually saw chasing Amy before I saw either of those two films do the right thing. Well, do the right thing was on in my house, but I never paid when I was younger, but I never sat and paid attention to watch it. But Chasing Amy was the first of those three movies that I sat down to watch. Then as I got older, I found out, I, I totally, I just worked backwards and I found out, you know, through, mm commentary that you know kevin smith referenced that radio raheem love hate scene mm -hmm. and then i go to that and then i realize and then i go to the do the right um movie and then i realize oh spike lee referenced night of the hunter and that's just and then you learn about you know you learn about sure. film history you work your way uh backwards through generations mm -hmm. and it's interesting that all three of those movies are criterions also so, oh yeah um, yeah was it that's was a guitard that said uh that the best director is a thief i uh, that's probably not the exact quote but uh yeah a, a totally lot. and 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 our and our and our topic on this episode, Mr. Jarmish himself, who yep. said, you know, steal as much as you can, borrow. You know, he's mm -hmm. never been, you know, uh, afraid of admitting his uh, influences. And then in doing that, he still has his own voice because no matter who, like for, uh, you know, he in, in his earlier years, he was compared to Brisson a lot. And that's true. There, there's a lot of visual similarities, a lot of uh, deadpan delivery. But at the same time. Robert Brisson would never make plot-wise would never make a Jim Jarmusch film. So, right. You know, so Jim Jarmusch <laughs> borrows all whatever, but his movie story-wise is still very much his own. You, you know, so yeah, definitely. So the uh, the last thing we, before we get into Jarmusch and Mystery Train, we just wanted to mention we didn't we well we did talk about Marcus's Criterion connection, but we are going to be sunsetting that because uh, we do have a friend over at Criterion Cast who does a new podcast that folks could check should check out if you're into the Criterion uh, collection called the uh, Criterion Completion with Keith Enright. He's been on the mm -hmm. show a number of times. So and, and he does kind of a, a similar vein with that. He'll talk about folks uh, Criterion connection. So sunsetting that when we have guests, we'll just talk about something, you know, film related with them, what they've been like, up to. Like Tiff. Yeah. yeah. Um, he really we began that 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 little uh, thing because of our episode with Keith about our connections and uh, and just about collecting uh, criterions and and that was a fun episode, but since he has uh, his own podcast and he has guests uh, and some of his guests will have been on here probably a lot of them and um, and vice versa, right. so yeah it's more out of respect and deference to Keith. Uh, so if you want to share your criterion connection, you get on Keith's show. <laughs> Absolutely, so. good stuff. So let's uh, let's transition into Jarmusch. Um, we we're going to talk about Mystery Train, and uh, we'll have Elvis lead us in. We'll come right back. Ew. Train, train, coming round, round the bend. So, Mystery Train, Jim Jarmusch, uh, Spy Number 521 from 1989. This was a 2010 release from Criterion, one of their earlier Blu-ray releases. 
uh, when they started releasing Blu-rays in 2009. Uh, this one stars Screaming Jay Hawkins, Sink A. Lee, who is the brother of Spike Lee, the aforementioned, mm -hmm. um, Rufus Thomas, Nicoletta Brashi, Tom Noonan, uh, Joe Strummer, and Steve Buscemi. So quite the cast. Music by John Lurie, who folks will know from a couple of other uh, early Jarmusch films like Stranger Than Paradise. And of course, written and directed as always by Mr. Jarmusch. So the, in the film, it's a, it's a triptych really. It's a, about um, two, Japanese, two Japanese tourists, an Italian widow, and a British immigrant uh, with a couple of other of his friends, I guess you could say. And uh, there, of course, it features uh, Jarmusch's deadpan comedy, uh, but also, as Criterion notes, his precision, because he is a precise director. Mm -hmm. And we visit, uh, we visit Memphis, we go to Stax uh, Records, and we allude to Graceland, and we uh, talk about the Carl Perkins versus the King, and who is, uh, who is the best. So maybe Carl, we should- Carl uh, Perkins. <laughs> I'm, I'm not being racist there. I'm just trying trying to imitate the movie. No, no, that, that's how they sound. <laughs> uh, he, it's a lovely scene. The it is. With, yeah. About the king. Elvis. Kyle Perkins. Elvis. 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 So, yeah, uh, it's, that's Mystery Train. And we thought we'd just kind of go into a, another character that I didn't mention is the city of Memphis, uh, a character unto itself. So um, why don't I turn it to you first, Darren? What do you think about uh, this backdrop of Memphis? Well, there's one other character that you feel, or actor, uh, is Tom Waits, plays the DJ. Which, oh, uh, yes. I, it's kind of interesting, the nice connection with uh, Down by Law. Down by Law, he, that's he right. A, yeah, so, and John, uh, John Lurie did the score. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and a lot of people know John Lurie from music, too. Uh, yep, yeah. I think oh, he's yeah. a musician first, actor second. Uh, uh, Memphis, yeah, I think it's, uh, it, they, they use location well. You know, some, some films, you'll watch it, and you won't even think twice about where it's set. But this, this film, it, Memphis is... Basically, yeah, it, it is a character of the film. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, pretty much, it, and you don't see like the, the 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 gorgeous touristy areas, which you know mm -hmm. we don't see Graceland. They, they probably couldn't get the rights to, or couldn't get uh, permission to film in, in Graceland, sure. in fairness. But you don't see the the glitz and the glamour. You see the the, the more uh, off the beaten path, the shadier areas. Uh, it's not a, a glamorous portrayal, uh, with, with exception of maybe like Sun Records is probably about the only actual. Or Sun Studio, I should say, is the only actual uh, uh, famous place. But that even that is right. kind of it's it's on just on the street, and you know, it just looks like the old studio. That's really right. what it is. So yeah, I, I think uh, from from the beginning, when the, uh, the the two the Japanese characters get off the train, you're just entrenched in Memphis, and also with the three stories. There's shot matches, and and you know, in in, in one section in, in the Japanese story. You see elements that'll come back into play, or locations in in the second story or the third story. Uh, in fact, there's a matching shot where they actually watch. Uh, they they walk along the sky, see the skyline of Memphis, which is probably the touristy area. And actually, I think it's the the first one and the second one. They're in the first one. They're carrying that uh, suitcase with the stick, mm -hmm. and in the second one, it, that's where uh, uh, I forget her name. Uh, Nicoletti, yeah, is Lu the actress Louisa. 
Louisa. That's where it. She, she walks across, and it's almost a matching. In fact, they might have even shot it on the same day. Mm. So, yeah, I think uh, uh, Memphis is omnipresent in this movie, uh, and it, and Jarmusch uses it well. Uh, I think it's, yeah, it, it, it definitely actually contributes to the characters and the, the scenarios, especially like the, the diner scene in the, um, in the Louisa segment. Uh, it's very, you know, downtrodden Memphis mm. type of scene. Yeah, I wonder if, if he really, you know, if, if he had gotten rights to Graceland, that's a good question if you would have gone there or not, because he does seem to be, you know, as you said, wanting to film the not-so-nice parts of, uh, of Memphis. And as I understand, it was kind of a depressed area at this time frame when it was, uh, when it was recorded but uh, or was filmed. But, yeah, this is really um, is a character, like you said. I, there's that you know, recurring shot of the train uh, that reminded me of how these folks are coming and going. I mean, you've got the, mm-hmm. you know, the bookends of the, of the film with the, the train. The train is kind of a character, too, um, you know, the, of the coming and going of people and uh, the, the ones that remain, as we'll get into in the three-story structure, they're the, really the only ones with a, with a vehicle. So and uh, yeah, it's, and it, it's also it, just to add on. It's funny you say that. I didn't even think about him getting the rights to go to Graceland. I just mm-hmm. because of his style, you know, before and after. I thought I always thought it was just kind of intentional. Like you know, mm-hmm. in Down by Law, you never actually see the prison break. You just see them running away. Like in you know, Stranger Than Paradise, you never see them go to the track and lose or win and just like here in you know mystery train it's like you never go to great i mean there's so much elvis stuff in you know in in the film that it's not really not necessary so um yeah Yeah, i think it's almost better to have you know three pick uh, you know uh, paintings of of elvis on on the hotel wall that's that's more charming than going to grace i mean i think i I think Mm -hmm. that's a start i mean going going back to tiff real quick when he spoke uh at the end of patterson um he did a little q a and he was kind of cynical, actually, but he was just still Charmish to his day. cynical? <laughs> no, but it was like it was extra. It was like really extra. It was like he woke up on the wrong side of the bed, kind of oh, cynical. Yeah. And it just ties into the fact where he, like Patterson, really not much. Ha- it's a great film, but not much happens. And I think that's always been his style, where sure. he just mm-hmm. and he said himself, he just likes to avoid obvious stuff and cliche stuff and and whatnot so I, yeah. you know I, I think that ties perfectly into mystery train where i i don't i think if he had the rights he wouldn't have gone so yeah he's not a showy director and it doesn't really care about no. extravagance yeah, I'm trying no. to think of it, all of his films maybe the vampire movie uh, that's maybe the only one where he shows really uh, uh i guess intricate and uh sets but uh but yeah. that's even still set in like you know only Detroit, lovers. where like Detroit, lo- yeah, yeah. Only lovers, where it's True. like a you know not not the nicest looking part of and and not and not necessarily it's not about because people have a lot of, you know kind of a misconception about Detroit nowadays. It's not mm-hmm. even about crime ridden. It's just empty and desolate. Yeah. It's like you know certain parts look like the beginning of a racerhead. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so it's it's yeah, not I'm... as glamorous as as as, as you would even think. So. I meant the interiors, but yeah, the, the oh, sure, oh sure, 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 sure. Yeah, but even it's very similar to this movie. Yeah. So. Right, right. So how about the, you know, this is, as I mentioned, a triptych. And so it's got three stories that are interwoven, really taking place in the same uh, time frame. So what did you think about this uh, this story structure? I believe it's the yeah, first time he had done this, although he would uh, employ a similar technique with more storylines in the, the his next film, Night on Earth. But uh, right. thoughts on the, the three story structure, Marcus? I'll turn it to you first. Um, uh, thoughts. I mean, I, I thought it's, uh, I, I, I liked it. Um, I think three <laughs> is the perfect amount of story for that time. I mean, it's under two hours, so, you know, um, mm. it doesn't go too much. I like how, I also like how 
things connect, but not in this like super obvious way. Like the the, the right. connections in in the it's film are, are are minor and you know and, and subtle. Like you see, yeah. I mean, Steve Buscemi being one of the main characters in the third story, the Japanese couple just kind of quickly passes by him. You know, right. and he's just he's he's like a background guy. You know, like he's, if, if he's fishing, especially exactly, especially <laughs> if if and and if you saw that movie, like say when it first came out, or if you didn't know Steve Buscemi was, or you know, you would think, oh well, that's the last time we're gonna see him. He's just mm-hmm. a you know, he's just a guy. You know, or you hear you know a gunshot at the end of that story, and that's you know from that last story as well. So it's just little yeah. s- s- subtle things where it doesn't dissolve into like a, I guess like not not I'm not criticizing him but like a tarantino thing where like the japanese couple now has to get involved with you know uh the, the characters from the second story yada yada and, right you know, right There's and they no... also maintain constant ca- you know the, the the bellhop and the hotel manager you know played by spike Lee's mm-hmm. brother and screaming jay hawkins those are you know the con the regular characters you know throughout so yeah it's not yeah, like it's... us like say Babel, where they they intentionally place connections all over the place where the, exactly. the stories overlap exactly. yeah it's it's almost uh, like easter eggs you could yeah. say that they just kind of yes. yes and it's something right. if you watch it twice you're like oh yeah and of course yeah steve buscemi was nobody at the time but he's now sure. it, it really until reservoir dogs also this is of course there have been lots of uh, triptych stories well i guess we'll, we'll settle on that um like rashomon is the big one which yeah. is of course different it's more varying uh, versions of events but i uh, you can you think about early or actually late uh, 80s and early in the indie movement there weren't a lot of three story structures uh, but I think they would become popular in fact speaking of Tarantino you could almost say Four Rooms is a direct derivative of this uh, and and then of course you know, like Babel and um, 21 Grams Inaritu movies uh, it's crash and, it's yeah. it's almost become you know I wouldn't say a cliche because it's still not done all the time but it's sure. become more uh, a more regular storytelling method than uh, than it was in the mid 80s would you guys yeah, agree I mean yeah. I would absolutely I mean I'd go further and say I mean between Down by Law and Mystery Train and and just so many things surrounding them I don't know if a lot of early Tarantino stuff I don't want to say it would exist but it would be very different mm-hmm. like Tarantino obviously loves film so he would have been a filmmaker no matter what but I think whether anything you know acknowledges it or not I think Down by Law and Mystery Train played a huge part in Tarant from just the obsession to Elvis the use of some of his actors the mm-hmm. use of Riza who's who they both worked with uh you know it's like sure. I mean just just if, I mean you know Tarantino wrote True Romance and there's there's the ghost of Elvis in mm-hmm. you know in in that script just like in Mystery Train so that there's there's a lot of just one or two coincidences but like when yeah. it's just non-stop you know uh it, it just gets a little obvious to me at least I, I don't know mm-hmm. which That's is fine true. which is fine yeah, influences, right? Yeah, yeah, and Talking they all them. they all drew from you know the film history and each other at the time. Exactly, so, you know, exactly. And, yeah. and and they made no bones about it. So yeah, and no, I think yeah. you're right. I think uh, I, in fact, I, I don't think it's hyperbole to say that the format is groundbreaking. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like the uh, and how it is subtle too. I mean, you guys mentioned this with the. I keep coming back to the gunshot, which is you know the gunshot to me is really the main connective tissue, and of course, in a, a, an American film like this, uh, you mm-hmm. can see how you know, like the Japanese couple says, "Oh, this you're in America, so this is right." It happens. This, oh yeah, that's right. The that's gunshot. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, but it's and also I'd say Elvis is a connective tissue too. It's that's yeah. the. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean that's guns, the, guns, and Elvis. The, the occurrence <laughs> that line, of, of that the line shot. always. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, sorry, you go ahead, March. Please. No, I was saying that 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 line always reminds me. There's a sketch uh, from Kids in the Hall. I don't remember what season, but it just concerns uh, one of the characters going on vacation, and you know the kids in the hall are Canadian, and you know it's it's easy to get mistaken for American. So one of the characters in the sketch mistakes the Canadian for an American, and then Dave Foley he goes, no, no, I'm Canadian. It's like America just without the gun. That that always reminds <laughs> right. me of. Hey, I, I've I've been guilty of going to Paris during uh, the Bush administration and pretending to be Canadian. So, <laughs> oh wow, wow. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, yeah. Rather rather than get into it, you just uh, you know, I'll, I'll take some uh, a croissant, eh? Smart. What <laughs> <laughs> you gotta funny. do is throw in the air. No, no, they they really do say that just for people who think it's like like a, a South Park kind of thing. They they really hmm. they really say that. Oh, hey, we were just the there a few weeks ago, and yeah. I know you, you were just there. Yeah, I know it's, yeah. it has its culture, but anyway. Yeah, uh, yeah. and with the the other thing I wanted to mention with the gunshot is I, I like it is it's a nice story technique too because it does it builds mystery and suspense. There's also yeah. you know really yes. foreshadowing mm-hmm. because you know you want to know, uh, sure. you know something's going to happen. We're probably going to find out what happened later. So it's a nice, really good connective tissue for uh, a film like this. Yeah. Although you know typically you don't picture. You don't think of you think of the music in Memphis. You don't think of guns, so it's kind of surprising in that way too. It's yeah, kind of the coda America. for every each one of the segments as well. That's that's when right. when things start to resolve. Uh, what you know, whether that means uh, getting on an airplane or uh, being thrown in the back of the truck with a <laughs> with a little tourniquet on your 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 leg. That's uh, yeah. That the gunshot uh, initiates the ending of of that night. Yeah, and and it's interesting too that I mean that gunshot doesn't necessarily mean it, it, it's tied to a different uh, shooting. But it's it's interesting that almost a decade of filmmaking, Mystery Train, that was like, that was the first uh, on-screen murder in a Jarmusch film. Like, there had been implication mm. oh, right. of, of, of death in Down, in Down by Law, but never anything on-screen, like any kind of, like, real violence, you know, to, to be except for John Lurie and Tom Waits' little sissy fights uh, throughout uh, Down right. by Law. But other yeah. than that, yeah, this was like the first kind of like true violence and blood, you know, in a, in a John Rich film. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, with that, Marcus, uh, did you have a favorite of the three the three storylines? I'll just mention them again because they are titled. There's Far From Yokohama, uh, yeah. which is the, the Japanese couple that's touring Memphis. There's A Ghost, mm-hmm. um, which is the uh, Nicoletti character, uh, Luisa, who is there as a uh, as a widow uh, unexpectedly, and then there's Lost in Space, uh, which is the the group driving around uh, drunk. Danger, <laughs> Will the, Robinson. Uh, the Danger. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> yeah. uh, did you I, I, did you have a favorite? Ab- absolutely, it's it's the mm-hmm. second story with you know um, Nicoletta um, Roberta Benini's wife. Just because to me, just in terms of tone, it encompasses mm-hmm. both. Uh, stories before and after you know the first story is just incredibly subtle it's just you know some would say boring but boring in a good way whereas the third story there's a lot more action and like i was saying Mm -hmm. before violence that's a lot louder and you know the second story it's just a combination of both it has its kind of like down you know kind of boring you know moments but then it also has uh you know a lot of like a lot of dialogue, you know, the, the character, the, the co-star, the main co-star, you know, she obviously, who turns out to be Steve Buscemi's sister, she talks a lot. So um, right. that that's kind of, yeah. you know, she's very just loud and animated. Um, but then there's, you know, the, the ghost of Elvis. So I, I think that, and, and that's, a, and you you hear Tom Waits' voice and the score. It's just, it's very, it's it's the most Jarmish of, of the three, I, I, I like to think. So. A lot of magazines, that, yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, a lot of magazines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
the great yeah. great scene combat air combat yeah what about and you i love the fact that i i love that cy richardson is uh you know he's he's the convenience store guy who sells her all the um Oh, yeah, great. all the magazines. Yeah, and and it's he's such a like kind of underappreciated. I don't know if icon is the word, but just a staple of indie film. In that he's throughout all the years since almost day one, he's been a regular of Alex Cox's, and he's also been a regular of, of Charles Burnett, who are both you know maverick, you know indie mm-hmm. filmmakers, and he's maintained a relationship with those guys. So it it, it only makes sense that he would, at some point, even in a small role, work with another indie maverick like jim jarmusch so yeah yeah he was in a repo man yeah so or repo man walker a lot of most of alex cox even even alex cox's more recent not so good uh movies hey hey he was on the show let's not uh let's not dog his work oh (laughs) no i i i I, I, I am i am a fan of his i i apologize i'm kidding i'm kidding oh okay i I think even he would admit that the his latest stuff is no sid and nancy uh but actually he, he uh just wrapped uh started uh, finished filming uh tombstone, tombstone Rashomon, and i yep. it sounds like they got everything they wanted so i'm pretty optimistic about that okay, uh, ba- back cool. to Sai, i i have to say that's the best upselling ever i've seen in, in real life or film <laughs> so oh yeah sure. yeah we, we all would have walked out with the pile of magazines i mean jeez. Yeah. oh sure yeah and yeah and the argument about the newspapers oh if you got one leg, you might as well have two. It makes perfect sense. <laughs> Even well, I mean, you see, he's, I, you know, it's just it's such an interesting character because you see, he's he's just good at selling. I mean, even before he sells in the magazines, there's the old guy, and he's encouraging him to kind of, right. I don't know, run for some kind of local board or some kind of local city council. Get involved. Like, you really think I can get it done? And he's like, yeah. yeah. Well, I'll get Absolutely. to it then. Yeah. Well, hello, Dom. Hello. What can I do you for? I would like to buy this newspaper. Well, now. You should buy this in his. Well, the Tri-State Defender. No, thank you. I think I need only this one. Well, you know, you only need one leg to get around on if that's all you got. But it sure helps having two, now, doesn't it? Oh, well, yes. This one, too. How about some magazines? We got all kinds of beautiful magazines here, you know. No. You know them people who just buy a little paper, too? They make it real hard for an honest man to stay in business sometimes. Okay, give it to me. This in here has all those high fashions from abroad, from New York and everywhere. But just hold on a minute, sugar. Say what I got here. Now we got movie magazine, home magazine, muscle magazine, ladies magazine. And this in here tells you all about the United States. No, thank you. No, no. Yeah. It's a great scene. Great. Even the supporting characters, I think, just across the board are, are great. So, and that's an, yeah, yeah and, and that's another thing about the second story. You know, Tom Noonan, who's such an underappreciated oh, yeah. guy. You oh, know, absolutely. to be, I mean, he's terrific. Tom Noonan is a guy. I'd like to compare him to Bill Duke in terms of like actor. You know, as an actor, most people know him. He's the axe murderer and last action hero, or he's Frankenstein and Monster Squad. But as a director, mm-hmm. his movies are very personal and just very subtle and just not. That his his directed films are not representative of you know the I mean he he's a character actor he's a famous character actor in a lot of you know mm-hmm. gangster of films is, a, uh, action films you know in in uh, the House of the Devils the the role that too exactly most, exactly because yeah. I mean he's he's a very tall guy he's got this mm-hmm. like intimidating yet kind of creepy presence so but um and and yeah. just like in in, in Jarmusch uses him perfectly because he's another guy that that part of the second story is also a very Jarmusch thing where you think. He sets up something and you think something's going to happen 
the obvious is going to happen, but it doesn't. Like you think, right. oh, mm-hmm. he 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 sits down, tells the story, but then he follows her after, you know, it's over. And in any other movie, especially in that time period in the late '80s, like woman walking down an alley, she's going to get attacked, but he just yeah. kind of yeah. just goes away. Well, actually, that's you the know. device to get her to the hotel. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, one thing about Jarmish is he he does, and I haven't seen Newman uh, Newman Noonan's films, but um, Jarmish does seem to like to cast creators, uh, art, artists, whether they're musicians or directors. So that's yeah, a good point. I think that, that's oh, a, absolutely. Uh, yeah, he he definitely likes creative talent, and uh, I think that enhances his films. Actually, with I think Joe Strummer was probably the weakest link, uh, even though I think Joe Strummer can act. Uh, speaking of another Alex Cox connection, yeah. But, uh, but anyway, my my favorite story actually uh, was uh, coincidentally the first one. I I just thought the Japanese couple, uh, Yokohama, Yokohama. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, first off, I thought the the dynamic between the two was was really, uh, I guess, exhilarating. You know, she was almost a completely a benevolent, friendly person, outgoing, bubbly, really. Whereas yeah, yeah. He, he's more downtrodden. You know, he actually. He's, Kind of like what you might think a, a rock star might be. He's you know, mm. stoic, uh, uh, you know, doesn't show emotion on his face, even though you know he may be happy. He's he's not going to reveal it. And so, just the the interplay between the two. And actually, I, I use the word boring. I, I think that's funny because you're a Claire Denis fan, but <laughs> I, I like I like slow is the is a better word. But um, uh, but I I didn't actually find. I found that the first segment was more enthralling for me and. Uh, hmm. Yeah, so I and I, I just felt a connection with the characters, and also I think it was funny too. You know, the, um, the ling- linguistic elements, uh, like you know the, the the matches which would play off later, or or just the little mm. things like you know she walks into the hotel and and she says hello, good night. You know, it's you know, yeah. she, she means yeah. it's kind of like saying bonsoir. She she means good evening, hello. Uh, but you know, um, and, and they pay with two dollar bills. Right, right, right. And then she said, she leaves and says, "Have a nice job." So, uh, yeah, I, I <laughs> thought that was wrong, yeah. funny, a little fish out of water, and I think that's something that Jarmish does well. So, uh, yeah. yeah uh, the, the I third, also I, like too how it's like when when you finally see he she gets him to smirk for when she's doing yes. her 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 version of side by side comparisons with the Elvis thing, and then there's this one where I I forget what the comparison is, but like. He, even then, he's a little too proud, but he just can't help but kind of look off to the side and smirk, you know, for a second. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, they they also have like the the kind of the Jarmish embodiment of cool with the lighter tricks. And, and, uh, oh yeah, so, oh yeah. So even he just though throws it up and catches it in his pocket effortlessly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah and she, tour- she lights it with her toes and yeah, yeah. Yeah, nice you think of think of the thing. stereotypical Japanese tourist. Yeah, he he kind of takes tilts that on its head. And uh, no, yep, these are yep. these are very cool people. Love classic music and uh, and are thrilled about being in Memphis. I, I live in the southeast. I've never been to Memphis. <laughs> Don't really mm-hmm. have much of an itch to go there. But uh, yeah. Uh, they, so Aaron, I, would you would you be in that plum? <laughs> sorry, sorry, Marcus. No, no. I, Mark Mark's questions way it, it comments way better. <laughs> no, I was just going to ask. I was going to kind of punctuate Aaron with, uh, "Would you eat the plum, Aaron?" Oh yeah, I would definitely yeah. eat the plum. Um, definitely. In fact, that was quite a little game that uh, Screaming Jay played with. Uh, I forget the character's names, but Mr. Lee. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, it was great. I was just saying, I, I I'd been to Memphis and the airport, and this was in '90. I was gonna, I was almost gonna go to college around that area, so we went to visit. And the airport, this was even 1999, it looked like it was in a time capsule. It looked like it was still, like, mid-70s. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. From what I remember, it's very, like, mm-hmm. just, you know, not. it seemed like not much had changed. So 
Yeah, I wonder what it looks like now. If somebody's yeah. listening and wants to tweet us, uh, let us know if uh, if it looks anything like it does in in 1989. Yeah, mm-hmm. would love to love to know. I I know. I, I think it was the the uh, the hotel that it was shot in was actually torn down within like a year of this yeah. time. It was kind of a um, condemned building at the time, but yeah, they said it was so. uh, pretty much falling apart when they when they made the film. So yeah. So what's your favorite, Mark? Well, my I, I'm just going to shake it up because my favorite is actually the first one too. Uh, oh. I just love that uh, that intro, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just when we needed two new characters, you know, we meet the two hotel uh, proprietors. So, um, mm-hmm. but I, I'll just I do have to. I mean, we've got to talk about Lost in Space. It does feature, of course, the um, you know the the murder, and I like how with the first two uh, pieces or the first two parts, you get people who are not from Memphis, but in Mm -hmm. the third part, which makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's just a good uh, decision from uh, Jaramish to give us people who are living there. And of course they were, you know, just laid off that day, at least our two of them were. And it feels like their story is a bit of a product of, again, a product of this city. And is it a, a product of this environment? You know, we get the economics, um, we get a sense of maybe it is depressed. I mean, we did see a lot of, uh, we didn't see the, the nicer parts of uh, Memphis. But um, so we see how they have, a, you know, the idealized view that starts um, there, you know, earlier. And then uh, we get the, you know, the view of the folks that live there. We don't get that idealized view, of course. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, they're yeah, not going to Graceland. Nice... <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, they're driving around, you know, just driving around Memphis, Mm-hmm. getting drunk and it's a it's a very tonally it's it's I mean, it's still funny at parts but it certainly is a, a darker uh, part overall definitely I think. and so. i i think the elvis connection you know they're sick of elvis so at least uh, yeah. joe strummer's character who gets called elvis you know i, I guess you could see the resemblance but uh, yeah it kind of look like you kind of kind of see that with the the locals perspective uh, versus the tourists and you could say that about anywhere uh, you know if, if some tourist comes to your town they're going to see it uh, differently than you see it yourself so like 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 burlington vermont <laughs> right so uh no, yeah, I, 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 we the, yeah go so, ahead aaron well, I was just going to say that the third sequence is probably my least favorite, uh, but I but I think it does a good job of wrapping up the the first three and, and punctuating the film. Uh, so yeah, it's reminds me of uh, Lost Detail too. Uh, we just talked about that in the yeah. Twilight Time episode, you know, where the guys mm-hmm. just hanging around drinking in the in the room, you know, that uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah, it's nice. And, a little bit and, of a continuity issue though too, because I, I noticed that Charlie drops the bottle. And uh, we cut back, and then we when we go back to him in the bottle, the the pieces are under different spots. So oh, wait, somebody oh, well. better call IMDb goofs. <laughs> yep, yep. I'm gonna add it. Actually, it's uh, probably there. But. Speaking of IMDb, there's there's one. You know, usually you don't get uh, nuggets of wisdom from the IMDb forums, but uh, there was one interesting. No, you one. do not. No, you do not. <laughs> usually the opposite. Usually it's whether somebody's hot or whether a movie sucks or not. But uh, there was one uh, interesting comment I found in there with a sort of a numerology thing with the, the number 22. And they, uh, you know, they, of course, the hotel rooms were $22. The liquor store bill was 22.17, And then mm-hmm. the, the, the ugly room, the, the terrible room was room 22. And then they, they speculated oh. that the upselling that Cy does at the gas station, that the magazines probably would have amounted to 22. 22 bucks. Huh. And then uh, the... The Bill Noonan scene where uh, she gives him ten dollars to go away, and then ten dollars for the good story, and then she has to pay his coffee bill and hers. That probably also equaled to twenty two. Wow, so, oh, that's hmm. awesome! Yeah, it's that was neat, and it probably was intentional uh, of Jarmish's, but just one of those little flourishes that uh, people would miss if uh, they might 
uh, unless they rewatch and kind of pay attention to these little little details. So mm-hmm. interesting. And, and this episode is not twenty two minutes long. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely will not but, be. Uh, probably times five. So. <laughs> Yeah, why don't we? Uh, I'm curious to hear what you guys think about overall. Is this film, uh, Marcus? We give film ratings, and we'll also give a Criterion rating uh, as the you know from the overall Blu-ray package. Uh, mm-hmm. But what would you give? I know you're a fan, uh, Jarmish, so I'm curious how this kind of rates for you in his uh, filmography. Oh, I mean, really it, just it's one of his best. Uh, if, in terms of a number, uh, yeah, I wonder. I, <laughs> I mean, I. I uh, I'd give it a nine out of ten. I think. Okay. Yeah, I think it's one of the best indie movies of the '80s, and it's one of mm. his. Be- it's quintessential Jim Jarmusch. So I'd give it a nine out of ten. Yeah, yeah I feel good fair. about that. Yeah, that's fair. What do you think, Aaron? Are you I, with Are you with Marcus? You know, I actually, I rewatched it. I just just because I think you have to pick, you, you almost have to to pick up on a lot of things. So I, I after after doing our French episode, I watched a lot of Jarmusch. I watched this one twice. Uh, yeah. I don't know that I'm. I, I do like it a lot. Uh, so I'm, I'm probably going to say eight five. So it's among my favorite dramas. But uh, yeah, when compared to with some of the films we talked about last week, uh, I, I don't think it's quite there. But it's a terrific movie. And uh, so yeah, eight five is what I'll say. Hmm. Sure. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm with you guys. I mean, I, I probably it's we're going to talk about our favorite dramas Jar, Jar, later. But um, yeah, I'd probably go. I was thinking eight, you know, just a, a overall um, for his films. I think uh, the problem I had with this is I wouldn't, even though it is a triptych, I'll keep using that word, <laughs> uh, <laughs> We, I wouldn't recommend breaking it up. I think you really should watch it in one sitting, and I did actually break oh, it up uh, yeah, into, yeah, I think, I'm, a couple of sittings, and it doesn't work as well that way. So just, mm-hmm. you know, for listeners, if you haven't watched it, keep it in mind. And uh, the only other thing I'm going to say is that uh, when are we going to get some Jiffy Squid? Yeah, um, the fast food seafood restaurant. That sounds Jiffy nasty. Squid. Yeah, Jiffy <laughs> <laughs> <terrible>. squid. <laughs> so I, we, uh, I would we turn off to... the radio too. <laughs> Actually, I don't even know. I'm, I'm not even sure why I hesitated to give it nine out of ten. It, it, it's it, it's. It, that's actually it should be an easy decision for me. I I just remember too on my um. There's a theater here in New York City called Anthology Film Archives. And I had my 30th birthday there, and Mystery Train was one of the movies that I actually showed. It was uh, oh, cool. Mystery Train, uh, U.S. Go Home, which is a rare Claire Denis film, and uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. But um, yeah, Mystery Train, <laughs> and I think combo. that says something. It was like I wanted to show some of my favorite movies, but I wanted to show something, something by Jarmish, and that I, you know, it was it was between this and Down by Law, and I think Mystery Train was the one movie that I think like everyone can kind. Of, there's something everyone can kind of grab onto and, and, great and appreciate point, yeah. about yeah, it. I, I think that's very fair. I think it's. Uh, yeah. And I wouldn't say it's his most accessible. I wouldn't use that term, mm-hmm. but I'd say it yeah. is accessible. Mm-hmm. Actually, maybe, maybe it is his most accessible. I, I was just going to say, yeah, I, I, it, Could I, be. it's one of his top three uh, yeah, accessible sure. and, and top three movies, maybe. So. Well, we'll get there, too. Yeah. Yep. yeah. <laughs> so, and, you know, there are some supplements on the, the disc. I wouldn't say it's a, a stacked disc, but it's a little bit different. Again, it's an earlier Blu-ray release. We get a Q&A with uh, Jim that I was going to talk about. Um, this one is... Interesting in that uh, 
Jarmusch doesn't like to do commentaries. He doesn't like to look mm-hmm. at his films again. He mentions this right at the beginning of the Q&A. So it's a little over an hour. Uh, you know, once he makes his film, he's he's done with it. So, you know, if you want to talk to him and ask him questions, that's fine. But he doesn't want to look at it again. So well, apparently he um, doesn't like that either, according to Marcus. <laughs> right. No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's interesting. Yeah, I was going to mention that because he doesn't seem... It almost seems like during this, with some of the questions, he could turn cynical, but you he you can hear that uh, maybe he changes a little bit because you know he knows it's being it's being recorded and people are asking him direct questions. You know, mm-hmm. and they're uh, they are um, you know they he he wants to answer them as as nicely as, as he can overall. He gives a lot of good insight into this. I really like this the supplement a lot. It's one that you know just has there's no video. It's just the audio. And early on, he's talking about how at the point when he recorded this, Cameron's avatar had just come out. Um, so that was interesting. He mentions the, the through line of, of Tom Waits, you know, between the DJ narration and Down by Law. And he gets the question, of course, he was asked, you know, is he a Carl Perkins guy or is he a Elvis guy? Is, you know, probably neither. The, the film. And he said, you know, he, he you know, I, actually, I won't give it away. So okay. because okay. I, I think it's worth I think it's worth listening to. Um, you mentioned the musicians and career actors talking about them. And he talks about, you know, collaboration, how he gets, um, you know, really the best out of his actors. I, one of the most interesting things I think that, um, was shared here. And I think in other places is how he puts his movies together because he really, when he writes, he thinks of a particular character and write a, uh, a particular actor or maybe, you know, someone like uh, a musician and really writes the film, uh, around them, around that character, and the, mm. the story comes from there. So it seems to me, it seems you know different than a, a lot of folks. Yeah, cool. So, and he also uh, mentioned uh, there's a question about um, this being a '50s rock version of an Antonioni film. So he seemed very <laughs> taken by that, being compared yeah. to uh, Antonioni. So that sounds um, like something he'd appreciate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And he's certainly a, a fan of Criterion. He seemed to be uh, really excited that this was a Criterion uh, coming out on Criterion, and he was hoping to get more, I think. I mean, I, I think if anyone, uh, if Criterion came to him and asked to release any of his of his films, he would certainly uh, sign up. So sure. Was really, Down by Law really before stuff. this or after? Down by Law was before. way before. Oh, because it was DVD, right? I, I, yeah. I don't think there has been anything else by him on Criterion since this. Has there? Uh, since um, Mystery Train? Night on Earth is the only other, well, the, the later one. Oh, I thought but, that was that. Oh, okay. No, Night on not, on not on not, Blue. Yeah. yeah, it's not DVD. So, yeah, it, it might have might have a later spine. But actually, yeah, Down by Law is 719. So, yeah, that's probably the, the last film, last actual film that, that he's gotten in the collection. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. As far as uh, you know, when they were released by Criterion. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's a it's a good supplement. It, uh, one thing I picked up on too is I, I like how he he's saying you know film is really silent in, until you get sound. So fifty percent of the film is sound. So mm-hmm. being a, a sound fan, I uh, certainly appreciated that. And you got into his uh, editing technique too: physical film versus digital. Um, so some really good uh, good stuff there. Well worth uh, checking out. Mm-hmm. Cool. So. Uh, what did now, Aaron? You were going to talk about the "I Put a Spell on Me" um, documentary. This is from 2001, not by Criterion, but released on this disc. 
Yeah, and it's uh, it's really just about Screamin' Jay Hawkins, uh, who of course plays the uh, the n- night manager, I guess, in the hotel is his title. And this is only an excerpt from it, and it has uh, Jar- Jarmus talking about uh, his experience with uh, with, with Screamin' Jay. Uh, and uh, funny stories. One is about the plum and about how uh, he had to eat that plum thirty times, but they uh, they used the the first uh, plum take, so he he was a little uh, irritated by that, but. Um, I, no, I, I, I'm not going to go into too much detail because it's only like 17 minutes, and uh, and it, it's a pretty interesting watch. It goes into his history a little bit too. Uh, you know, I, I didn't know that he was uh, a POW and uh, was captured by the Japanese, so that that made it a little uh, weird with his his interactions with the the, the Yokohama couple. Oh, that's right. Uh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, but also, he he was not an actor either. He he uh, had this is his first time playing a role that wasn't himself. Uh, so it's it was curious to hear both uh, what really Jarmish's impressions of of him and uh, and his own of the experience. So uh, yeah, it, only, I I don't know about the whole documentary. I'm not a, a big. I'm not going to say I'm not a big fan. I'm just not as familiar with his music, except for I maybe I put a spell on me. Uh, but uh, no, I, I think it was definitely worth worth watching. Oh, he does like the ladies, that's for sure. <laughs> yes, he does. Wow. No, he he has notor- No, he has what like thirty children. Yeah. O- no, I know. Overall, yeah. A lot of, a lot of lives. Of lives. Yeah. Wives. Yeah. He he. There was one performance. Uh, Suck the lollipop. Uh, yeah. He famously had a uh, he had a there. crush on uh, he had a crush on Cheryl Lynn Finn. He wrote a song about her. Uh, well, so actually. did I. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, yeah, a lot of people did. Yeah. So, have you seen the, uh, the the really the only other supplement? It was the Memphis tour. Have you did you see that, uh, Marcus? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, overall, it's when you compare the the Mystery Train criterion to like you know Stranger Than Paradise, Down by Law. It's not as, in my opinion, as as good i mean it's 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 cool but it's 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 difficult to you know when stranger in paradise is just like the best i think mm-hmm. and down by those great so you know I'd, I'd give it like a 7.5 you know in terms of what you know create in terms of like criterion movies um hmm. yeah I, I just I, I do like the fact that essentially though um there was a connection to you know screaming jay and jim jarmish before you know mystery train and that it this was like I put a spell on you. That's like the main right, song, right. you know, used in Stranger in Paradise. And Jarmish talks about that in the in the documentary excerpt where he was trying to, you know, going through like the to get the rights to use the song. He was trying to, you know, give Screaming Jay, you know, as much money, you know, as he could, right. and and avoid, you know, all the the middlemen and whatnot. So I thought that was cool. It was, yeah, it's, it's was a very Jarmish, a very noble Jarmish, you know, thing to do. Sure. Yeah, he definitely likes yeah. to take care of. I think the people that uh, that he appreciates and features. So sure. Just another example of that. Yeah. Yeah. So we got your your Criterion rating uh, there, Marcus. What would you give it, Aaron, as a overall package? You know, I'm I'm, I'm with Marcus. I, I say seven yeah. five. It's it's not as stacked uh, as Down by Law, and of course, Stranger by Paradise or Stranger Than Paradise has his first film on it. So that right. I always appreciate nice. it. I, I do wish he would uh, would get into make uh, doing actual commentaries because I think a commentary on this would be fascinating from from Jarmish. But uh, of course, respect his wishes. Uh, and it's not even that. It's also the like like there's that Kino, uh, do, uh, that German television do- documentary on the Stranger Than Paradise, which like, like I was saying before, I think we recorded. I watched that so much. It, it's such a good uh, documentary because um, it's it's this thing like he had only made two movies up to that point, and like in Europe, in New York yeah. art house scene, he was a superstar already at that point. Um, 
And I had a, I had an interesting talk to, talk with uh, Jim Jarmusch's brother, who's also a filmmaker too, Jim, uh, Tom Jarmusch. He's more he's way more experimental. But in that that same theater where I had my birthday and showed Mystery Train, they they did a retrospective of Tom Jarmusch's work, and uh, it was it was over the course of a few days. And and one of the days he during a break from screening movies, I just went outside and I was talking to Tom Jarmusch, uh, who actually worked on Stranger Than Paradise, and I was just asking him about whatever he's a very nice guy he's open to talk and and because chris parker the star of um permanent vacation is in a few of tom jarmusch's films and it mm. turns out like chris parker's actually still alive and it's not like it i don't know there's just something about him like his character in in permanent vacation is very much him and there's just something where he's like i just always got the feeling that like he was either dead or just kind of like fell mm. off the face of the earth and tom jarmusch is like no he still lives around here he's still around so i was like oh well, that's good <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. But anyway. Good. Yeah. Well, I uh, I'll go. I'm just gonna tick it up just a notch to an eight for a Criterion rating. I love the disc design as a record. Um, yes. Sure. Criterion. Sure. I like sure. That too. sure. Subtle but very nice. And I, I like the the supplements. I it did give me a lot of what I would want. Of course, the Q and A gives you a lot of insight into Jarmusch. I mean, for you know an hour. Uh, and if if I was mm-hmm. going to add something, it would be some interviews, additional interviews with some of the cast. I think would be great to hear their thoughts. So. Um, if it had that, I'd, I'd tick it up a notch. And I, I do like the picture galleries. There's a couple of them, the Polaroids. Yeah, and, yeah those are fun. Um, you know, those are uh, w- well done, some nice shots there. So I'll give it an eight. But are we going to canonize this, Aaron? I, I, I'm i going to say no. I'm guessing you're probably going to agree with me. Marcus is going to say yes. Uh, but <laughs> I'm, I'm on the fence, actually. I do like this one. And uh, and it, we'll get into the next segment. I think there's another another Jarmish I definitely would canonize. But I, I, I'm going to say... Got to keep keep the canon, uh, you know, the best films of all time. This is right. this is close, but I but I I'm gonna say no. Hmm. Sorry, Marcus. Go there. <laughs> no, it's, I, I, it's fine. It's I mean, in terms of the Jarmish canon, it's definitely there. But overall, no, I I I understand. I mean, but like you said, there's something as long as you know, as long as there is a Jarmish film period that that you know gets uh, canonized, I'm I'm good with that. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I might just canonize. I, I'd like to maybe just canonize him as a director. I love sure. the fact that Criterion has four Absolutely. of his films. You know, it could almost just put him put him there if we could canonize a director. But yeah. anyway, yeah, that's not a bad idea. Let's canonize. Yeah. Di- All right, Jarmusch, you're canonized as a director. <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> I'm not actually going to do that on the website, but you know, no. it can be a, a running thing. Hmm. Sure. So it's a good good segue into we're going to talk about some more Jim Jarmusch and some of his films uh, a little bit a little bit about his career so let's let uh, Tom Waits lead us in to Criterion Close-Up. We are here talking, well, we just talked about Mystery Train, and we wanted to talk about the career of Jim Jarmusch. Uh, we just canonized him, sort of, as a Criterion director, mm-hmm. so let's talk about the man. Um, important director. Some of his, more of his early films are in the collection, and uh, we wanted to talk about his bio, how he got started, and uh, then we'll talk about some of our, our favorite films of his. Um, so he is a uh, he originally from Akron, Ohio, 
and he actually moved to New York City and attended uh, Columbia University. Um, so I had a, a really nice biography uh, article I should mention from Senses of Cinema that we'll link to with some of these uh, these details. But and he thought he was going to he studied literature, uh, American and English, and then got into uh, French literature when he moved to Paris. So in frequenting the Cinematheque in Paris, he became obsessed with films uh, from from well, really all over the world. So. Um, seems like that was a really important thing for him to do to uh, really study in Paris and kind of broaden his horizons, uh, so to speak. So, and he applied for, actually did some graduate work at uh, NYU. Um, surprisingly, that he got into uh, NYU, or surprisingly for him. Uh, of course, he, he said that uh, he had to unlearn a lot of things that he they tried to teach him. So, you know, it seems like he <laughs> learned some technical things there that probably would help him, but um, he certainly doesn't work within any kind of uh, studio system, uh, so to speak. So, uh, and he also met the he also got to meet Le, uh, Nicholas Ray there and uh, Tom DeSillo, and uh, Tom oh, DeSillo cool. would become cinematographer on Permanent Vacation and Stranger Than Paradise, his first two features. And uh, Ray really, you know, seemed to be a, an influence on him from, from what I understand. Oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. And I he also, yeah, and uh, someone that's mentioned in the article too is John Cassavetes because uh, he's oh, important to, to, to Jarmusch because he is very actor-oriented. I mentioned how he creates the characters first based on the actor and then kind of you know, draws the uh, the film around that character, and he is. I, I, you know, I thought of this, and I was trying to think of um, really a director who he would be most like. And uh, I think there's a critic who mentioned him as similar to Ozu in, uh, in kind of his trademark style, the minimal sets, um, hmm. the interrupted takes, but at, at least early on, because he did start to, you know, use more camera w- movements, especially the tracking shot um, you know, that we see later. And uh, we do see the, uh, of course, the occasional uh, fade to black. But uh, yeah, and there you know, was... I, I'm hmm. sorry. No, go ahead. I, I almost think you can't really ca- compare him to any director. He's su- hmm. such an independent, uh, even Cassavetes, who's a true independent, but I'd say he... He brings a lot of those influences that he probably learned about in Paris, uh, you know, like Antonioni and maybe some of the French filmmakers. So, yeah, I think he's kind of an amalgam, but also with a, a distinct voice. So, yeah. Um, I, like to, I like to think between, you know, his early, like, road, kind of road trippy movies to just his earlier on deadpan delivery. I think, you know, throughout the most of the, throughout all the 80s, he was definitely like, I think, a Brisson Wenders, you know, influence yeah. guy. Now, but, you know, he found his own voice. And now, I now more than anything, I can't really compare him to, to anyone, yeah. you know, especially, you know, from, I don't know, maybe Dead Man or Ghost Dog on, he's definitely kind of like his own guy, mm-hmm. his, his own voice, so. Yeah. yeah, actually, his '80s stuff—I I could definitely see vendors. Yeah, so that, mm. that's a good one, and and some Brisson, but Brisson is almost too calculated and uh, and you know, uh, yeah, sure, yeah, different yeah, so different vibes. So. so yeah, yeah, but and definitely he, and he did um, 
he utilized uh, Robbie Mueller, who we mentioned before mm-hmm. with the black and white cinematography. Who he, He's worked with Alex Cox coming up yeah. again and uh, Lars von Trier. I, I don't know if I'd see a through line between those two, but other <laughs> yeah, than him. Yeah, a little bit. Well, uh, yeah, we it, talked to, but, to Alex about Mueller, too. Great, yeah. great DP. But, but, but before even the, the, the whole Mueller thing came about because of vendors, um, Vendors saw when uh, Permanent Vacation came out, it was a big success. It, well, it was a success within its within the art house world in Germany. And then uh, Stranger Than Paradise, the first section started out as just a short story. And Vendors saw it and he was so taken by Permanent Vacation and the first story of Stranger Than Paradise, he actually gave Jim Jarmusch film to turn uh, Stranger Than Paradise into a feature length film. So that's how they kind of became close. Like, Vim Vendors kind of reached out to him. Um, oh, oh, he also... Oh, I apologize. Cool. Well, Vim Vendors knew Jim Jarmusch when he was a film student. If you see the um, the the Nicholas Ray documentary that Vim Vendors did on, 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 you know, you can see a young Jim Jarmusch as one of the students. You can see the, you know, the, the white hair uh, just kind of, like, in certain scenes and <laughs> stuff. So that's how they got to know each other through then. through And then uh, wow. they, they just kept in touch o- 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 over the years, so... And it should also be noted too. Another kind of like overlooked thing is Jim Jarmusch's mom was also a film critic, in uh in uh for like a local newspaper in Akron, Ohio. So he used to come, he used to go with his mother to watch movies a lot when she would uh be on assignment to you know watch and and, and critique a film. So he had kind of an early exposure to just a lot of different movies through through, through his mother. He's definitely a film mm-hmm. student, and and I I love filmmakers kind of you know like the French filmmakers. You know they came out of being critics, and uh, so he, I don't I don't know if he himself was a critic, but yeah, I, I, you can definitely see he he loves film, and sure. it comes out even even his films today. There I, I don't I wouldn't say they're as good as what he, his stuff in the eighties and nineties, but right. you know you, you still see it. Yeah. So. Yeah, why don't we get into his films? Uh, we did want to talk about some of our favorites, and there there seems like a delineation, uh, so to speak. I mean, I said mentioned Criterion has covered the, his early films. Uh, we've got Stranger Than Paradise, and of course, Permanent Vacation on the same disc, DVD only. Uh, then Down by Law, which is, I think, 86, Mystery Train in 89, and then Night on Earth, which is um, 1991. And then most of his, you know, his later stuff has been uh, covered by well, some of it by other studios. I know um, Dead Man specifically was covered by Miramax. There's a mm-hmm. notorious story there about how he didn't work well <laughs> with uh, Miramax as a as a distributor. You don't say. A story oft told. <laughs> yeah, and I, uh, Only Lovers Left Alive it was uh, was Sony. So there seems a you know kind of a delineation there but uh wanted to talk about our favorites and we'll we'll kind of go um you know one through five uh, marcus what's your number five favorite film number five Jarmusch? so at the bottom it uh let's see let me start from the top so i don't yeah uh, uh, i would say night, night on earth is my number five. Oh, cool yeah okay yeah did uh, night on earth make your list aaron you know it didn't but it it would probably be my, my number six maybe seven uh i i i really like the I really like the cat, the New York story in Night on Earth, uh, the, the one with uh, absolutely uh, what's his name, uh, uh, Breaking Bad, um, Gus yeah, Jean Carlo, Jean Carlo oh, Esposito, yeah. and and I forget the name of the other, the cab driver, the clown, uh, yeah, Ar- Armin the, Mueller stall, the the the, the Fassbender thank you, thank you. Uh, guy. That's probably one of my favorite mm-hmm. like actual sequences in Jarmish's uh, library. Mm-hmm. Some of the other stuff, uh, uh, um, Benini is kind of. Uh, 
I didn't like him in this. I know comedy is uh, is very subjective. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, Benini's somebody I loved in, in Down by Law, but not sure. so much in this. And I and I, I actually didn't like Life is Beautiful. I'm sorry for um, anybody that's a big fan. <laughs> so, I yeah, uh, I, I like it a lot, but it definitely has its flaws. Uh, I, but I, I like the Helsinki, the... Uh, uh, has the I forget his name too, but the charismatic actor. Yeah. Well, it's funny you say that. The whole mm. point of I read an interview with him before, but you don't even have to really read an interview. It's just there. Each of those stories were dedicated essentially to filmmakers either he is or was close friends with or very much admired. So the first story with Jenna Rollins that was kind of his like dedication to John Cassavetes. The New York story was his kind of dedication to Spike Lee with Giancarlo Esposito and Rosie uh, Perez in it. Um, right. The, the third story, you know, Benini is like, you know, uh, a good friend of his. Oh, no, well, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, well, that's actually the fourth story. The, the third story, that that's kind of his, like, Claire Denis uh, homage because those are two of her regular actors, Patrice Dalle and um, Isaac de Boncole, And then Aki oh, Karismaki yeah. is another sure. one of his good uh, close friends. So that, you know, was uh, his – the Helsinki was kind of him – you know, shouting out his uh, his buddy there. So that's kind of that a little like behind the scenes thing about that movie. Uh, cool. Yeah, yeah, that's neat. I actually didn't know that. Yeah. Um, but it makes sense yeah. because I think in each one of those, I probably thought of those filmmakers. Exactly. Yeah, and he, he he's either like uh, Karismaki and Denis are like his good friends. And then Sp- him and Spike Lee just they they had an interesting career in that there was a period where like all of their films kind of were doing like the like she's got to have it and down by law we're doing a lot of this we're doing the festival rounds and then you know mystery train and do the right thing were you know do so they got to know each other through there plus you know being in new york city that you know it's it's a small world they have you know Mm -hmm. i'm sure they had a lot of the same friends and 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 they work with some of the same people too so yeah yeah those circles are probably very small yeah, the filmmaker artist circles. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, came came up together for sure. What about your uh, number five, yeah. Aaron? Mm-hmm. Uh, my number five is Dead Man. Uh, cue uh, Neil Young music. Uh, okay. Oh yes. <laughs> yeah, I love and the soundtrack. And actually, yeah, you you were mentioning that these aren't on Criterion. I think something like Dead Man. Well, maybe not now, but I think before it was is probably a little too popular to get on Criterion. Because it, I remember when it came out, it was kind of like this indie darling. I think it made money, um, and I would say the same of Ghost Dog too. But uh, yeah, I, I just think uh, it's not a perfect movie, but uh, I, I like uh, I like the acid western vibe of it. I love the score. Mm-hmm. I yeah, like absolutely. how it uses Native Americans, which actually comes back in another film. Uh, so yep. yeah, Dead Man, my number five. Awesome. Yeah, I I can go with you. You know. Dead Man was an honorable mention for me, and really because I again I've only seen it once, and I just feel like, especially with the second half of that movie, you've got to see it again. But I, I um, agree, yeah, yeah. The the opening of that film was one of my favorite openings I've seen in some time too. Just the the, the scene on the train, with the Buffalo shoot, I think it's just great. Yeah, with Crispin um, Glover, yeah, yeah. he did a great job. Giving too much away, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And it's uh, I, I I do I'm with you the music Neil Young I mean I, apparently he just went in and um, he recorded that soundtrack similar to I, I think maybe how Miles Davis did um, Elevator to the Gallows where he recorded it direct to the picture you know just yeah. went through the film and it's kind of old school accompaniment like a silent picture I know our friend Ben Modell would <laughs> yeah appreciate that but uh, he you know recorded it in just a, a couple of days and it seems like it. Um, influenced the, I would say the soundtrack to probably uh, my my next pick. But any other thoughts on Dead Man? You guys have Marcus. Um, 
Yeah, it's it's honestly, although I like it, it's kind of a movie not to insult. I just kind of forget about it sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, but at the same time, you're right. It has a cool little connection to uh, uh, another film that's way high up uh, on my list that that, that that we'll get to in a little bit. But um, yeah, I, I but Ooh, in, in terms alert. of like <laughs> in terms of genre, it is um, yeah, it, it's just Jarmish kind of. To some degree, it's like it's he stepped out of his comfort zone and did a western, which is something totally out of the ordinary for him. But he still brought his style along yep. with him. So, for sure, yeah, yeah. I, I, went back to black and white. That's a good yeah. observation. Yeah, yeah, he did. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I uh, who's so next on number five? I'll transition into it. You know, I kind of I made my list more because again, as I mentioned before, I have a hard time ranking his films because I just think of I, I like his him and I like them pretty close to equally. Um, so I was going to go in order uh, sequentially or um, you know, not sequentially, but um, time based. Uh, so I'm going to go backwards. So I'm going to say my number five is only lovers left alive. And that's wow. the kind of three line with um, dead man. I, I don't know if this probably isn't popular, but uh, this was my number three movie from that year of 19, uh, 2014, just behind under the skin and boyhood. Um, I would say it was way down from those two. I mean, those two were easily my top picks, but um, I I like this film a lot. I just wanted to kind of hang out with these these characters um, played by, Tom, of course, Tom Hiddleston and Tilda Swinton. I mean, that that year, 2014, was the year of of Swinton. And if knowing now that he picks his actors and then writes the characters around them, I can I can totally uh, see that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just. I felt like this vampire myth was just perfect for uh, Jarmusch's aesthetic. You know, that portrayal of loneliness. Uh, I use that word a lot in kind of writing about this this, this film briefly. Um, and it reminds me a bit of, I, I think it has the most in common with probably what is my favorite uh, Jarmusch film. Uh, that'll come up later. but um, And really, these characters just kind of existing too. And of course, they've existed through centuries. So... I overall, I'd rather, I'd much rather hang out with Adam and Eve than Lestat, the vampire Lestat from Anne Rice. <laughs> um, I just wanted to hang out with these these two. And uh, nice score from Jarmusch's band, uh, Squirrel. Uh, it reminds me of the uh, the score from Dead Man a lot, with uh, you know just a um, kind of droning guitar that I just love from uh, Neil Young's work. That's some of my favorite stuff from him, and I, I like the the band's work in this film. So they, they yeah, do the I'm music. They do the music for Patterson also. It's 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 a little it's hmm. similar. So. Well, you can tell. Oh, this is from the same group, but it, it's the music is a little lighter, slightly slightly lighter in in, in Patterson. Hmm. So. Yeah, that's one one consistency is that uh, the music's always great in a Jarmusch film. Absolutely, so, yeah. I think uh, I think the score great for point. Ghost Dog, um, that's probably the last great thing that I think RZA did, um, and it was the first oh, yeah, it was the first oh, score that terrific. he did too. So it was like he had to kind of do something different, and that was also I mean whatever I'll, I'll save that for late, later on. <laughs> in, in the hmm. list, I think the Ghost yeah. Dog's on Marcus's list. <laughs> yes, absolutely, <laughs> it might be. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I'd love to see a miniseries or a sequel from from this film too. I could see us just you know kind of following these people, uh, these two around. Definitely, so, definitely. Yeah. You know, I, I hate to be the uh, the voice of dissent here, but it this one was not my tempo, uh, and, and maybe mm. I need to give it another another go. Uh, sometimes Jarmusch is is you have to be in a certain mood. I'd say you can't just. Uh, on a Friday night after a long long uh, work week, uh, flip on a Jarmusch and just uh, 
relax in these characters. But uh, sure. yeah, I, I wasn't feeling it too much, but I'm, I'm willing to give it another look. Yeah. I'm kind of the opposite. I actually, after a long, I would, especially, again, I didn't love Only Lovers Left Alive, but this is actually a movie I could, for the most part, come home after a long week because a lot of that movie is just kind of napping around and just kind of hanging out and chilling out. So that's actually kind of hmm. what I, it only levels up to live is kind of a movie I would turn to after a long week. Hmm. Um, See, I think mystery train would be like, a, you know, something really with a lot of energy. Sure. But, uh, yeah. 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 I, I wouldn't say I, I didn't, didn't hate it or dislike it even. I just compared to the rest of his work. I, I, I kind of have, have it down. Right. Pegs. Totally, totally, totally. Sure. What about you, Marcus? Let's go into number four. Uh, it would be mystery train. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, Which we gave a lot of love today. Yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> what else can we say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'll just say too. I mean, I, I kind of went like I said, reverse order. If it kind of informs my list a bit, so this was my number three uh, mystery train. So. You know what? It was my number three too. So nice. there we I have a feeling there there might be a lot of overlap on our our four through four through one. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be tough. So all right, Aaron, what's your number four then? Ghost Dog, Way of the Samurai. Oh, excellent. Um, I'm glad it's on... My number four also. Oh, excellent. Good, good, good. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, you know, I I really admire this movie, and, and I admired it more in hindsight when I looked into the comparisons between this and Melville's Le Samurai. And, and again, we talked about how he, quote, borrows or steals, but um, it's more of an homage. Uh, and, yeah, no, I, I just think it's a great film. The RZA soundtrack is amazing. Mm. Uh, I think the... Uh, uh, the performance by Whitaker. I, I have a couple actual minor quibbles that I won't get into. There's a, a couple conveniences, especially with the ending and that sort of thing. But um, mm. but no, I think it's a, a great character film, and it's also very unique too. Uh, it's unique. It's it's also just like yeah. I was saying with Dead Man. It's another example of um, him kind of stepping out of his comfort zone. I'm sure people, you know, mm-hmm. when he's like, "Hey, I'm going to make this semi martial arts movie," uh, even though there's not <laughs> there's barely any martial arts in it. Uh, there's martial arts ideology, I guess, you know, and Forrest Whitaker, who at the time, this was the big Forrest Whitaker. So it's like, yeah, he's going to be an assassin. I'm sure people right. are like, what? You know, but I think, too, especially around the time in the late 90s when the movie was made, that that hip hop as a culture with, with the, the, the shift. Well, the shift had already happened, but it was it was I don't want to say worse, but it was changing even more. And in the mid 90s, there became this kind of like fascination between, you know, like the gangster ideology and, and hip hop, like a lot of hip hop people looked up to like the John Gotti's and the uh, Al Capone's and people like that, not even realizing that guys like that, like, like Al Capone or John Gotti or just any kind of like Italian or Italian American gangster probably would want nothing to do with hip hop culture that idolize them. And also there's a lot of, you know, racism within that, within that, within those guys, the whole, you know, oh, Mooley this and whatever, whatever. And I think Ghost Dog kind of cracked that open to a certain extent with those um, with those gangster characters. And he was just trying to show that, you know, these guys, these Italian mob guys who you idolize, they don't really care about you, you know? So it's like, I, I think, I don't even, mm-hmm. and, and, he, and, and he meant to do that, but he did it in like a really uh, subtle way. Whenever I explain that aspect to people, they kind of go, oh, damn, I never really looked at it that way. And I think that's kind of, a, you know, the, the the mob guys in the movie that they're really racist they don't really like black people and I think that's kind of important it just it's kind of a lesson just like look mm-hmm. you know just do some research on who you idolize you know before you kind of you know idolize them and also for, from a guy just in general like the, the the race stuff there's a lot of racial stuff in you know ghost dog from the five percent ideology 
to just all that kind of stuff. So to come from a guy like Jarmish, you know, who's white, he seemed to have quite an understanding of just, you know, the black experience in, you know, uh, America. Hmm. Forrest Whitaker being this big, intimidating, stereotypical black guy. And he is a murderer. Let's not get that, you know, but it's like... Oh, sure. At the same Definitely. time, there's like a soft side to him, and like the you know the scene on 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 the bench with the young girl, you know, it shows that he's mm-hmm. also like a nice you know guy. He has you know he's friends with you know Isaac Debankale's character, you know he cares for his pigeons, mm-hmm. and then you know yeah, th- th- there's a lot of depth and a lot of you know the, mm-hmm. the the bear scene, the bear scene where he kills the guy. Like that's I mean the, the symbolism and the metaphors in that great. scene are so right, on the yeah, nose, yeah. but it's still s- s- such right a great there. scene. So mm-hmm. yeah. That's, uh, yeah, yeah, another uh, Terry Malloy on the waterfront connection too with the pigeons too. Right, yeah. right. It's, it's right. the first thing I noted on this film. Uh, Aaron was the uh, yeah on the waterfront and, another and, Criterion connection. And also for for those who don't know, you know, uh, uh, in the mid late nineties, RZA's studio had a flood and he lost a lot of um, he lost. A, I think Iron Man, Ghostface Killer's Iron Man was the last thing he did that that, that wasn't affected by the flood. He had a lot of Oh, wow. pre-recorded beats and everything and that and if you notice hmm. after that his style changed it went a lot it went he got really into synthesizers and and uh mm-hmm. more like he was always like a string he was a sample based guy but he was very string heavy and you hear that in the soundtrack you know there's still his gritty drums like which he kind of i think lost but gritty drums is, is is definitely a staple of rizzo but the strings were really highlighted in the score you know for ghost dog and and like i said he had mm-hmm. never done a movie before so he was kind of you know he had to step outside his comfort zone he wasn't making he essentially was doing an instrumental album he was always a producer with rappers yeah. in mind but for this it was just you know for, for a film and yeah, yeah. yeah. and he did uh, a little bit for uh, kill bill a couple years later yep. too yep so yeah, his later films to me, I mean, I, I know, you know, it's still a Jarmusch film, but it, a lot of them seem like they he is stepping out of his comfort zone with a, a lot of these films. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, Dead Man even, you know, going back to a Western, uh, Ghost Dog has many different uh, styles in it. Coffee and Cigarette seems a little bit like his, you know, more his uh, older style, but, you know, Broken Flowers, we've got, um, yeah. you know, Bill Murray. I mean, yeah, it's an Only Lovers Left Alive. Again, they're, they're still distinctly his films, but uh, different. Um, for sure. I mean, I, I like it when a director can kind of bring their own aesthetic to other genres, which he, he certainly does. Yeah. And so. I think really his career up through Night on Earth, uh, you could almost kind of categorize. And I think really that's yeah. the dividing line. After that, he tri- tried new things. So, yeah, kudos to him. I, he's yep. We've already mentioned he's a very independent director and I think works on his own terms. Uh, he's going to do a movie that he wants to do. He doesn't care what Miramax or Sony or right. uh, whoever – he doesn't really care if it makes money, probably, Absolutely. as long as he can keep working. So, yeah. As long as anyway. he can keep making films. Yeah. Th- let's uh, see. One other, um, one other Criterion connection. I didn't notice this at first, but uh, the Henry Silva uh, plays Ray Vargo in Ghost Dog, who played uh, Chinjun in The Manchurian Candidate. So a oh, oh, right. Oh, connection cool. oh, yeah. <laughs> so, anyway. So, let's see. R3 was Mystery Train and... Did yep. you already give away your three? I don't think we got. Marcus no, my, my my third was uh my number three would be Down by Law. Ah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. It's my number two. It's nice. my number one. Oh, <laughs> oh. all right. <laughs> love that law. movie. Love, love that movie. Yeah, I. That's that's my favorite. And I was the movies I would canonize. That would be it. So there you go. Yeah, sure. I figured. I I had a feeling. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
So what do you think about uh, why is Down by Law number three, Marcus, or one, one of your favorites, top three? It's another one of those, it's like perfect jar. Like if someone was just like, you know, Jarmish in one movie, it would definitely be that. I mean, I like to think my number one pick is, but at the same time, I wouldn't be mm. mad if someone suggested Down by Law as well. It's um, It goes back to what I was saying earlier. There's the... the a lot of things that like you, he, he doesn't show things that another director typically would. Again, you know, there's a, you know, when you think of a movie about a prison break, you always see like this intricate plot, like this is how we're going to do it. This is how there's, there's this right. whole montage, sure. but they just talk about it for a second. It, like Roberto Benigni's like, Hey, I, I know a way to get out of here. And then just like a few scenes later, you just see him running away. Like it's just, <laughs> you know, um, the the friendship there's actually chemistry between the three um not again yeah, not so much in the fightings i thought the fighting could have been a little better but that's just kind of nit- nitpicking it was clear like oh, i don't want to hit you we're acting but um the the the, the black and white the music and of course on a personal level there's that you know kind of like vim vendors claire denis connection that claire denis was an assistant director on that film um there's some really great behind the scenes uh pictures that have surfaced over the years of just her like a young, tiny Claire Denis alongside Robbie Mueller and Jim Jarmusch working on the film. Um, yeah, it's just a great movie, great great vibe, a great a- atmosphere. And and the tone just shifts. Again, it, it's that kind of three-story, mm-hmm. three-part structure in that you're introduced to yeah. these three characters, then there's the prison, and then there's like the post-prison. It's, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I, I just, I think that the chemistry, I think that's, the, it's the best chemistry on any Jarmusch film in, in my mm, in my opinion sure. and uh, and i and i actually say it looks the best too and and i, I know that's that's saying a lot that's pretty high praise but i just think no the, uh, I, you might be right honestly go there so, so yeah. yeah love it and and again that's the only time i could really tolerate benini, benini. uh so um right. so that that, that gives me some, some extra points did you ever see the um ray romano hosted a saturday night live from the from the late 90s no, I missed that. It was a Roberto Benigni sketch where um, Ray Romano was Roberto Benigni, and because he couldn't speak English well, but he was so happy and jolly, he just got away with doing <laughs> anything that he wanted. He's like, oh, excuse me, I just, I don't know anything. Like, he would just, like, feel up yeah, women or that. just, like, be really, like, obnoxious, but, oh, I, I don't know any better. I'm sorry. And then everyone's like, oh, it's okay. You're Roberto Benigni. It's all right. That kind of sounds like his Night on Earth uh, sketch, yes, too. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I... I, I my wife is a huge fan of Life is Beautiful. I, I'm hmm. again kind of like uh, uh, I forget what movie we were talking. Oh, only left, Lovers Left Alive. I don't hate it, but it's not uh, not a movie I love. But yeah, I, I think that just the whole Oscar buzz that year kind of turned me off to him. So, um, but I saw Down by Law after that. Uh, some of the others I saw before it. So mm-hmm. I was pleasantly yeah, I think surprised. This is my- my first uh, Benini film, and yeah, it's. I, I don't know if I want to watch Life Is Beautiful now, Aaron. I may never. I may <laughs> you, never. Get you might to like it. it. He is. He is charming in it. I, I will give him that. But uh, just don't watch the Oscars. <laughs> right. Oh gosh. Yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> the the one shot in this film that whenever someone says "Down by Law" that sticks in my head is the crossroads uh, towards the end. Yeah. There. Yeah. And I just I, you know. I didn't want to go there, iconic. but me too. Yeah. And and I you you can when you rewatch it, you can kind of. Uh, uh, yeah, nah, I'm not gonna go yeah, there, but <laughs> right, just just the shot. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, my uh, so that was Marcus's number two, uh, three, my number two, and Aaron's number one. Down by law. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're so, crossing them off here. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Getting getting through them. So my my only remaining one is uh, is my number one. So I, I think we need to go to Marcus's uh, number two. That would be uh, Ghost Dog. Oh, okay. Yep. That's right. We did hit Ghost Dog. So Aaron, I think we're we're to your number two. 
uh, Stranger Than Paradise. So I have a feeling that's one of your number ones. Yeah, it is mine. Oh, yeah. My oh, number yeah. one. Oh, not no, 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 no. It's my number one. Sorry, I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. All right. My number one, too. Okay, cool. Yeah. I mean, for me, I'll just say you could interchange Down by Law or Stranger Than Paradise, but I, I went I went in uh, reverse chronological order, and uh, yeah. So why, why is it year number two, Aaron? Well, I think for a lot of the reasons that uh, Down by Law, you know, it's it's it was made by I think it, the budget was maybe a hundred thousand. I forget what it was, oh, but wow. uh, I, 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 I could be incorrect on that. Mm-hmm. I, that's from memory. Sure. But and I, of course that one made a lot of money uh, c- compared to the budget. But I, I think that uh, he really gets into his characters. Uh, you know, actually, unlike Permanent Vacation, uh, I think it's uh, there's a lot of character moments, a lot of. Um, John Lurie is terrific. Uh, mm-hmm. is, the dialogue is pitch perfect. Uh, I think the the it's been a while since I've seen it, so it's not fresh in my memory. But I just remember loving it. Uh, you know the, the integration of different cultures, which we definitely see in Mystery Train, and uh, and how different people react to that. Uh, in fact, uh, one of my notes I didn't get to on Mystery Train is how really it's the female characters that are all benevolent. And mm. and and good natured and trusting, and the male yeah. characters are not. I, I kind of think yeah. that's almost the case uh, with Mystery Train too. Or, I'm sorry, with uh, Stranger Than Paradise a little bit too. From from memory, I I, I haven't anal- analyzed it in a while. Right. So what? Yeah, why do you at guys least early on? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good point. Uh, Eva. So yeah, what? Why do you yeah. guys say it's number one? Marcus. Uh, like just like with Mystery, uh, Mystery with Down by Law, but just even more, I just think it's uh, it is the kind of Jim Jarmusch film. Uh, it just kind of encompasses everything from just you know deadpanism, which I think he's kind of lost over the years, to just the idea yeah. of just the hmm. the road trip, the whole idea of showing just the you know showing parts of America. Um, just like kind of like in, in, in Mystery Train where, you know, you go to Miami, but you don't really, it doesn't really look all that nice. I mean, most of it is, it's in a motel room. <laughs> right. Or just to show yep. then, you know, but then the middle section to show a part of America that's overlooked, which is the Midwest, which is Ohio, yep. which is, you know, where he's from. And then even in, you know, New York City by the 80s, you know, especially, you know, 83, 84, you know, the whole idea of the yuppie and just like New York, big city, bright lights. But again, it's New York, it's mo- that New York is mostly in hallways, alleyways, small apartments. So he just kind of stays away from, you know, the typical stuff. Uh, Mm. A lot of cool, you know, cool references and connections to things that inspired him. And you can just see little nuggets of Stranger Than Paradise literally in every single Jarmish film after. Um, Mm. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Definitely his most personal, I think. And and, and for those of you, you know, uh, listening... I don't really write too much about Jarmusch on my own site. I did write a, a fairly in-depth kind of comparison piece to Ghost Dog and, and with Samurai. But there's a series that we do on the Pink Smoke called The Whole History of My Life where you take movies that aren't necessarily, oh, these are my favorite movies. It's more so like just personal connections you have to movies. And Stranger Than Paradise was my most recent. Uh, it was part five in, in, in my series. And, and I go really in-depth into just why I'm so connected to that movie, why I love it so much, mm. and just how, I, you know, I I discovered it. I remember just renting it, like I explained in this piece I wrote, because I saw the cover, and I was like, oh, is that the parking lot attendant from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, which, you know, Richard oh. Edson. And I was like, ah, oh, this go. looks, okay, I'll, I'll rent it. And then I, well, I, I didn't know what to expect, and then I just ended up really liking it, and that, that movie just kind of opened me up to, to Jarmusch a lot more. So there's also, outside of 
the movie itself, there's some personal, you know, connections that I have that I just can't really shake, you know, so. Mm. Sure. Yeah, I think yeah. that's fair. We all have, uh, it's all subjective. We all have, have our, yeah. our, um, our, our predilections going into it. So. Right. And it's a favorites list, right? It's, you know, right, it's not exactly. what we really think is the best, but I'm, and I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you, Marcus. This was my second Jamish film. I had seen Ghost Dog a number of years before. That's why I actually rewatched that for um, this show and watching Stranger Than Paradise. I watched it late at night. I couldn't believe I stayed awake because yeah. it is you know, sure. so slow, but I just, I got Jarmusch in, in, in that film. I just loved it. Um, I think, you know, the black and white cinematography, the, the three, you know, well-realized characters and their, their interplay and how, you know, he, he doesn't want her there at first, but then they do de- develop a relationship. And, you know, it's the scene that really got me is the scene where, you know, every coast looks like every other coast um, yeah. shot in that, uh, mm-hmm. that, that film, you know, he, he just, he captures, you know, you'd mentioned the, um, you know, the deadpan comedy, but just the small moments. I mean, he's not interested in capturing the big moments like the prison break, like you said, uh, just the existing, how people exist, how they get by. You know, the TV dinner scene is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, where he explains why Americans eat TV dinners and they don't have to do the dishes. Um, it just yeah. for his second movie, yeah. boy, did he get America. Sure. And, so. you know, a lot of that could be the product of him not having a lot of money, but Right, so he can't afford to film the the big scenes, but that probably did uh, lead to oh that worked. You know, you don't have to show Times Square, uh, <laughs> so uh, or or um, Graceland, so that actually exactly. becomes right. some, part of his uh, his technique. And also, you yeah. know, the the relationship between cousins can be kind of awkward sometimes, because it's like mm-hmm. you're not like a brother or sister. But we're also we're connected through DNA, you know, through blood. And it's like, you know, and just and he captures that, too, where it's like when you first meet a cousin, it's kind of like, hey, we're related. But like, I don't know, like, yeah, <laughs> you know, no more than that. But then, like, once she leaves, you know, there's that little quick sequence of how he's just kind of bummed. He's like, damn, I, I'm used to living alone. And then my right. cousin annoyed me at first. But then I got used to having her around. Now she's not here. And he was definitely and she's the reason. Mm-hmm. Hey, let's just t- take a road trip mm-hmm. and go visit her, I'm, you know. So, uh, and, 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 yeah, the and change in their relationship. Yeah. It's great. I, I'm an only child also. So cousins, you know, are definitely kind of, you know, hold mm. a little more mm. weight to me than, than, you know, the average person. So. Oh, cool. Yeah. 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 Lovely ending too. It just, uh, yeah. it's great. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you know, we, so. we need a blue grade of this. Well, what happened? <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. It's, you know, this would, I, I don't know if this ever made any of my list for criterion cast Aaron, but I've been waiting for this for a long time. I actually bought it during the last Barnes and Noble sale. Cause I, I got sick of waiting. It, it needs it big time. Yeah. I've had it for a while. Uh, so yeah, no, it's, it's due. Yeah. So, yep. Absolutely. All right. Should we repeat our lists just because they were a little fragmented? <laughs> just yeah, so let's people... do it. Sure. Aaron, you, what's your uh, five through one? Uh, Dead Man, Ghost Dog, Mystery Train, Stranger Than Paradise, and Down by Law. Nice. And yours, Marcus? Night on Earth, um, Mystery Train, Down by Law, Ghost Dog, Stranger Than Paradise. Nice. And I've got uh, only, only Lovers Left Alive, Ghost Dog, Mystery Train, Down by Law, and number one, Stranger Than Paradise. So. Cool. Jim Jarmusch. And we will put JJ. links of to uh, the the, um, the articles that Marcus mentioned on Pink Smoke and Pinland uh, in the oh, show excellent. notes. Uh, I, I actually, I wrote one on Down by Law, and I reread it this morning. I, I needed an editor, so I might not put that one in there. We'll see. Cool. Uh, 
I might put it in there with an asterisk saying, hey. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Forgive any typos. Cut me some slack. Yeah, Yeah, really. Luckily, I've I've, I've since gone back and edited some some stuff, so. Maybe I'll do that. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, uh, Marcus. It's great to have you on. This is kind of last minute. You were perfect for the show with uh, your your connections to to the man. No, I appreciate it. And like, and and just literally any podcast I'm on, I I listen to. You know, even if if I'm not a guest, I I I really like like your guys' show. So it's it's great. You know, being on it, I appreciate it. I'm I'm open at at any time. You know, I'm I'm always open open to. Thank you. uh, Nice. Definitely. Actually, yeah, I'll talk actually, a, a couple we, of things off 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 the record or off record. I'll, I'll just m- mention a, a couple of things uh, for future stuff and. Cool. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, we uh, where can we, folks we, find you? We have a queue then. <laughs> My uh, yeah, it's um at Pinland underscore Empire on Twitter. Uh, PinlandEmpire.com is my own site, and then you can check out my writing and just other great writing I didn't even do over at uh, ThePinkSmoke.com. Um, I also yeah. I'm also contributor to a Cut Print Film. Um, it's a website, an- another site where I do a lot of smaller uh, films and, and stuff. But yeah, CutPrintFilm.com, and I think yeah. they're at CutPrintFilm uh, on Twitter. So yeah, a lot of places to go to check out my writing and, and stuff. I'm on I'm on Wrong Reel all the time. I'm only uh, he is. <laughs> I, you know, I'm only a couple train stops from James's apartment, so you know, and uh, I'm on Flixwise quite a bit too. We uh, we've had a few ep- episodes these last few months, and I just recorded an episode just before I went off to Toronto. I recorded an episode with uh, Pauline and Martin, which uh, on story of a three day pass, so uh, that should be up oh, cool. uh, eventually. Uh, I, I know there, there there's a queue with them, and there's some other stuff uh, before that, but still. Yeah, uh, Martin talked about that on our show too. Um, yeah. I, I will vouch for Marcus. Uh, he is a tremendous follow on Twitter and, and his, his blog. Uh, so yeah, I, 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 all those little nuggets when they show up on my feed, it's just like a delight. So, awesome. There's a lot of them too. So. Awesome, thank you. You're prolific. Thank you. Thank I, you. I, I usually I'm hovering over the retweet button with Marcus quite a bit. Uh, got oh, thanks. Exactly. Thanks. Retweet those that. pictures. It's good stuff. Yeah. If, awesome. if anything, I hold it hold back because I don't want to uh, overload people with too much Marcus. No doubt. <laughs> no, I do. I, I feel like I, I do feel like I tweet a lot, uh, but you know I, I don't know. I just can't help it. And a lot of it, believe it or not, this is all stuff in my drafts. I don't do it like on the spot. I have just a ton of stuff. Because I, mm-hmm. I, I work and I have I actually, I also have a music studio where I do you know work at so it's like I believe it or not it's hard to believe I do have a life outside of Twitter and, and my own site I just <laughs> before I go to bed or like when I'm in the when I'm at the gym cooling down you know on the stationary bike that's when I assemble you know a lot of my stuff for the week so I could just kind of just hit one yeah. button and then just, cool. just stuff tweets out so yeah putting the yeah, art no, out there I'm not complaining at all so the more the merrier awesome no I, yeah I, I really appreciate that thank you. Nice. Yeah. Aaron, uh, where can folks find you online? Uh, I'm Twitter. I don't tweet like Marcus, but I tweet nope. some things. Uh, AWest505 uh, and podcasts. So I did the newsstand uh, a couple weeks ago. So uh, that was again with Ryan and Keith Enright. Uh, I think we have a good little uh, rapport with each other, have a little fun, and talk yeah, about Yeah, that was a Criterion. great episode. Enjoyed uh, thanks. that. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, I, I like those guys. Well, I like everybody, but I <laughs> I like doing podcasts with those guys. And uh, Letterboxd, I am DSNT. Uh, and that's it. What about you, yeah. Mark? Well, folks can find me, Mark Herney, at Mark Herney, H-U-R-N-E, and on Letterboxd. I think my only lovers left alive short review is there. 
And folks uh, can find, of course, Criterion Close-Up at Criterion CU, CriterionClosup.com, and Facebook slash Criterion Close-Up. I uh, would like some more iTunes reviews. Uh, they're very slowly trickling in. We need a f- we need the floodgates to open on those. Or <laughs> just just get us a, a star rating. Five would be great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, And email us at feedback at CriterionClosup.com. We'd love some more feedback on the French series, some of your favorite French movies or ones you'd recommend, any that you've watched. And uh, you know, tell us your favorite uh, Jarmusch films and uh, Jarmusch yeah. films, and why <laughs> why you like them. So, or your top five. I'm sure some people yeah. will give their top fives. Absolutely, top or fives tweet are us, fun. You know, thanks to High Fidelity. <laughs> yeah. yeah, easy easy to do. Mm-hmm. And next up, we're going to be delving into Carnival of Souls. I uh, had a recent Blu-ray upgrade of that, so we're going to talk about that. Halloween October, so getting in the mood. It's time. It's time. Thanks, everyone, for listening to Criterion Close-Up. No, that's good. So it's Jarmish? Jarmish. 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 Right, right Jarmish. Marcus? Jarmish, yeah. Jarmish, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm so used to saying Jarmush. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Although I think he's on, on, on a NPR interview years ago. He, I mean, his... Um, as far as like the Hungarian roots go, like his Hungarian relatives or whatnot do pronounce it that way. I mean, he mm. said it, but like he, he refer. I mean, in the American whatever, it's Jarmish, but Jarmish. he says yeah. uh, Jarmush is how it's with the mm. accent is how it's said. So, so kinda, I'm technically you're, you're correct, also, but I'll, I'll yeah, go with yeah, the American. Yeah, yeah. But but everyone I'll says Jarmish pronunciation. <laughs> here's our here's our outtake. So. <laughs>